Hi, my name is Rachel and I am the host of Things I Wish I'd Known. I decided to set up this podcast because A, I love talking, I love learning from people, I love conversation and B, there are so, so many things I wish I'd known in my past, so many things I wish I'd known about my mental health, about self-care, about magic, mystery, spirituality, about so many things that I know now, these crazy new breakthroughs in science, frequency, sound, all kinds of things that I'm now so passionate about that I wish I'd known. And I'm hoping that by sharing these conversations with you, I'm going to be able to maybe relieve some suffering, maybe share some laughs and share some knowledge. Some of it you may think is amazing, some of it won't resonate, and that's okay. But I really, really want to get this knowledge out there. So I hope you enjoy listening to things I wish I'd known. Hello, and welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known with your host, Rachel. I am the founder of Welford Wellbeing, and I am very, very excited to be here today with Scott aka the boy who drank too much. Now you might know Scott from his insane Instagram account where he does lots of amazing work but my favorite bits I think is when celebrities tell his story of sobriety (laughs) through their faces. He's a really inspirational guy. I met him on a panel actually when we were all talking about sobriety versus anxiety in Waterloo and I just loved his spirit. I loved his energy. I love the way you talk so candidly and openly about your sobriety journey and I just thought yes I need to get this guy on my podcast. So I'm really happy and really excited that you're going to join us today. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. (laughs) You're so welcome. So do you want to tell the people listening and watching you know a little bit about yourself? How how did you become the boy who drank too much? Tell us the story. <laughs> yeah, so I suppose it's it's a bit of a long story, but I suppose kind of editing a, li- a little bit, I always kind of, from my early 20s, knew that I had a bit of an issue with alcohol because it was raised to me by my parents. And I think I just ignored it like anyone else and just kind of thought that I was like a normal 20-year-old and stuff like that. And yeah. just kind of carried on going through life and, and kind of making the same mistakes. And a lot of the time you can probably put that down to being young and stupid and I think that's that's fine but as I started to get to like 25 26 and I was still doing the same stuff over and over again getting myself into a lot of debt and making some really poor life decisions I started to kind of be a bit like okay maybe maybe my drinking isn't normal maybe there definitely is something more that I need to look at basically kind of went through the motions and carried on still until I was about 26 and then at the end of kind of 2017 so I was 27 I came out of a long-term relationship and just kind of was a bit like okay I'm gonna give myself an excuse to go and party again because I felt like I owed it to myself because I'd been in a long-term relationship and yeah this time when I was partying it was just a lot it just got got on top of me a lot more and I started to really really feel that the anxiety that came with drinking and all of the bits that came with that was just too much And also, like, when I was getting drunk, I was getting drunker than I'd ever got. And it wasn't because I'd necessarily be drinking more. It was just impacting me a lot more. And I just couldn't really figure out what was going on. Eventually, I came to the realization that ultimately, whether you want to call me an alcoholic or not, I wasn't dependent in the sense that I was drinking, um, like, in the mornings and lunchtimes. But 
I probably couldn't go maybe more than one or two days without a drink. And it was never just one. And I think that's that's where my problem lied. It was it was never just one. It was always all of them. Mm. Um, and yeah, when you kind of get to like I was 27, kind of leading into my 28, 28th birthday, it's just a bit like, God, I can't, I can't keep doing this anymore. This is just ridiculous. Like it's affecting all parts of my life. And basically I lost my granddad that summer and I just kind of had this kind of moment where I was like, if he knew what was really going on with me, like he would be kind of really upset because like he was kind of a bit like my dad in, when I was growing up and, and I just knew that he always wanted the best for me. And I was just a bit like, do you know what? Like it's not really, it sounds really weird, but I was kind of a little bit like I'm not doing him any credit for all the effort that he put into raising me by leading this life. And it just didn't, that combination with the anxiety and the debt and the, and the poor life choices, all just kind of wrapped up into one and, and basically I was like right I'm going to give up alcohol on January the 1st 2019 and before that what I, I went onto Instagram and this was in the, about September 2018 and I was like I basically found the sober community on Instagram which I, I still to this day can't believe how strong and incredible an awesome community right <laughs> it's like the best thing ever I feel like even if you're not sober the kind of strength and positivity I found it really beautiful as well. I was quite surprised. It's I, you just don't feel. I don't feel like you find stuff like that much anymore. And and that no. sense of community is so strong. Yeah. And yeah, so basically, I was kind of like on my personal account, just kind of looking at all these sober accounts. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to start an account, and I'm just going to between October and January, I'm going to just try and like only drink when I've got a serious occasion to drink for, right. whatever that means. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whatever. And, that is. Um, yeah, exactly. And so the ones I've, where it's really socially unacceptable. <laughs> not to drink. Exactly. So pressured to drink that I better just do it to keep everyone else happy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, it would never be about me, of course. So yeah, I basically just, I, this is the really weird story. I don't think I've ever told this before publicly, but basically yeah. I thought the boy who drank too much, the name of that account when I was drunk, <laughs> I was, <laughs> when I was drunk, I was like, if I was going to start an account, what would I call it? And all of a sudden, that name just came to me. I and, loved um, it. When I saw that name, I thought, oh, damn, that's such a good... Because <laughs> it just does what it says on the tin, right? It, it definitely does. My only problem is, is that I'm approaching 30 now, and I'm like, how, how much longer can I refer to myself as a boy? <laughs> that's right. Forever. Be like Peter Pan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I basically started the account, and, and it was totally anonymous. There was no photos of me, and it was essentially just me kind of documenting day by day kind of this journey of starting sobriety. But I'd, at that point, I was still kind of adamant that I was going to give up officially on the 1st of January, so this was just a bit of a practice run. Yeah. And basically, I had like two two Thursdays in October, the first two Thursdays where I had plans. Outside of that, I was like, right, for October, I'm not going to drink. Basically. Can I ask, is that because it was Sober October or it was just. No. You just decided because it was that month kind of thing. Yeah, it was literally, it was just that it all culminated at this point. And I was like, I can't keep doing this anymore. Fine. Yeah, basically the first Thursday of October, I went out and got smashed, regretted it got up the next day stopped drinking again and then I went out on the Thursday after that and I for the first time ever when I had my first drink I felt really guilty and felt like mm. I was really doing myself a disservice and at that point I knew that something had changed within me and I realized that maybe something was sticking here like maybe this sobriety thing is actually going to work mm. and 
anyway, obviously I ignored all of that and got absolutely smashed to the point where I was like being sick on the way home and all of that stuff. And then I woke up the next morning and I swear to God, this is, this is no exaggeration. It was like every hangover I've ever had in my entire life came back for that morning. Oh, no. And my, like, I'm not joking. I was crippled. Like I couldn't get out of bed. I was like, it, it was a really, really awful day. And, but I woke up and the first thing that I thought was, that's it, I'm done now. I know that I'm now done with alcohol. And from that day onwards, I've never had a drink. And basically, yeah, so the boy who drank too much originally just started as me kind of documenting how I was thinking and feeling about sobriety. And then all of a sudden, I started getting like messages from people asking for advice and all of this stuff and all these people started asking me questions and advice. And I was just a bit like, whoa, okay, this is definitely not just about me anymore. And then I've just had some really amazing opportunities opportunities where I've been able to tell my story like stuff like this and speaking events and there's some massively exciting stuff that I'm working on that's kind of only just come out this week and yeah it's just mad really I can't I still can't quite believe that it's all happening and it's all just because I've stopped drinking like it it still baffles me well I think people need that inspiration right like I you know one of the reasons I wanted to do the podcast and you know, copy it onto YouTube and everything else was because when I was in bed with depression and I wasn't even considering sobriety then, I mean, I was sober, but that was because I saw alcohol was a depressant. So it seemed mm. crazy to drink something that was a depressant whilst I was, I was depressed, but I was never thinking about being sober. I just thought I won't drink for a bit until I get better and then I'll go back to drinking. Yeah. But I followed so many people on YouTube, on Instagram wasn't really a thing then. I mean, it was there, but it wasn't so big. It was mainly kind of YouTube yeah. and Facebook that I was finding people that were on a similar journey to me. And when I could see what they were doing, it gave me hope, it gave me inspiration, it gave me tools that I could then use. And I think that's what people are doing and what I see a lot of in the sober community, which I love on Instagram, because I do have a bit of a love-hate relationship with social media. Everybody in the sober community seems to just be so helpful and friendly and positive. Like there really doesn't seem to be, and maybe there is a dark side to it that I haven't seen or something like that. But genuinely out of all of the communities I've seen there, I've been really blown away by just how accepting, helpful, friendly people are, you know? Mm. And I think that's what you're providing for people as well, is just like this beacon of hope, if you like, of like, look, I'm doing it, you can do it as well. Yeah, I think for me, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently, is I think when you remove like alcohol or drugs or kind of any addiction that kind of really limits you and your soul and your personality, mm. when you remove those those barriers and you actually get to live your best life, as, as the term goes, I think that you have the mental capacity to deal with and like kind of cheer on everyone. Like, yeah. And it wasn't like when I think about it from kind of my perspective, like I, it was never that I didn't care about other people or that I did, I don't know there's all these kind of things that there was all these limitations that I was putting on myself just because I was drunk and all I cared about was just my my little world and me and since I've removed those obstacles being alcohol my mental capacity and my compassion levels are like it's ridiculous like the amount of kind of bettering for myself that I want to do but also like how much help I want to give other people because I'm not constrained by like the barriers that I put in front of myself anymore and, and for me life is now limit, limitless whereas before it was just a case of oh what nice bar or restaurant can I go to that I can get the best bottle of wine or whatever and that was all I ever cared about and now that that's gone there's just so much more to it for me. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually, in terms of, I don't know how you felt, but my whole personality, how I thought about myself as a person was really tied up in drinking and partying and whatever, like my job was quite high octane. I worked in sales, but for the action sports industry. So it was very sort of like, you know, high octane basically is the only way I can describe it. And there was lots of free bar type parties, launches, events, you know, premiere, movie premieres and stuff like that. And, you know, it was almost like it wasn't an option to not drink. You know, if you weren't drinking, it was like you, I don't know, were on antibiotics or I don't know, that was probably the only reason or you're pregnant or something like people just didn't not drink. And Mm -hmm. I don't think I realized at the time how much my personality was really tied up in this party girl persona that I had. So how did you find that in terms of it sounds like, you know, from what I know, as well from chatting to you off Mm -hmm. this podcast, your life was very much ingrained as well right in terms of your work your social life everything was very much ingrained around this kind of like party boy lifestyle how did you you're saying that it opened up your world when you gave up drinking but was that quite obvious and easy at the beginning or is that something that you've learned over time I think so the first thing I think is that like I've always and I've and I still am like this is that I've always had a really, really close set of friends. Mm. They're all individual friends that kind of don't relate to each other in any way. But I have like a really small amount of people that I care for a lot as opposed to loads Mm. of people that I don't care anything about. And I've always had that. And I think that because I've had those kind of relationships that have been nurtured over a really long period of time, they none of those relationships were were impacted because they're so close. I think if I'd have had like loads of like, loads of friends that maybe I didn't care as much about and they didn't care as much about me I think I probably would have struggled a little bit more but because I mean I can literally count on one hand like my best mates because of that like I think it there was only kind of one friend really where I was a little bit worried about kind of losing our not losing our relationship but just our whole relationship was built on wine and going to bars Mm. that was that was how we met and, and that's how all we've ever known and I think I've been really fortunate in the respect that we were we're both we're both kind of a lot older now and he's kind of really supportive of me in this journey. So yeah, I think it, for me, it was kind of a bit of a, just a natural thing that started to happen and I just got on with it and, and yeah, now I've got loads more mental capacity. I know like I heard the other day someone talking about like coming out as sober And I'm not like trying to compare obviously coming out with your sexuality with coming out with sobriety because, well, I've got no reference point for it because I'm straight for a start. But like, I kind of felt a bit like that. Like it was quite quite nerve wracking to actually come out and say like, oh no, I don't drink now. Or actually no you know no thank you or whatever like because I was usually the one that's like way shots <laughs> you know, like getting, the, getting the rounds in do you know what I mean first and then suddenly it's like oh no thank you I just have a soda water it was quite awkward I mean did you find that was there this kind of like I don't know coming yeah. period or it's really interesting actually I, I did a podcast interview a little while ago like a few a while ago now it's about six seven months ago and I actually used that exact analogy I was like it's really funny because like obviously I've come out once already as, yeah. as and then I'm like oh for god's sake like now I've got to come out again like why do I have to be a part of another minority like how many people <laughs> do I want to be a part of so yeah no 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 I'm, I'm not I'm, I'm, I can't. 
I literally can't because I will buy, I will like narrow the scope of my life to the point where I'm just not relevant to anyone. Yeah, it, it was like that. It, I mean, obviously very different, but it is very exposing. And I mean, the only, the only difference with sobriety is that like my parents and stuff, they were just really, really happy. <laughs> um, like really happy because they'd wanted me to be sober for such a long time and they knew Mm. How, they could see how much pain I was in without me knowing how much pain I was in. I think it's I mean, hard for families and friends, right? Definitely. I mean, what? yeah, I, I, I wrote, I had an article released yesterday that I wrote for a charity that I've just started working with, which we'll talk a little bit about later. Amazing. Um, and I, I texted my mum and was like, oh, my first article has been released. And she was like, oh, can you send me the link? And I was like, I can send you the link, but there's a couple of lines in the article that I don't know if you're going to be happy about mm. and it was nothing to do with her it was just to do with kind of my life choices around who I would wake up next to yeah. when I had a drink and obviously those aren't really conversations that you have with your parents like they no. and it's just a bit difficult because when I'm writing stuff like that that is part of what happened to me yeah. and part of who I was but it's absolutely not a part of who I am now and it's almost like there's two different people and I feel like I've kind of got a bit of a do-over and this is my life now and I can look back at it and be like yeah that happened but it wasn't the real me like the real me is who sat here today Mm. the person that I was that did all that stuff was was deeply unhappy and in a lot of pain but he didn't know that he was in that much pain and he was self-medicating with alcohol and it's just like to kind of text my mum and she was like no please send me the link anyway and then she read it and texted me back and she was like, I always knew that stuff was going on. And that's why it used to upset me so much because I could see how much pain you were in. Wow. And like to, to hear that from your parents, like it, we never, we've never had that conversation before. And I, or if we did, then I was probably too pissed to remember it. Yeah. Um, and to like know that like, obviously your parents put a lot of time and effort into kind of raising you when you're a child and to kind of the way that I think about it now in the way that I think about my granddad is that like I was almost throwing throwing it back in their face but obviously I wasn't doing it on purpose so that's my only saving grace (laughs) I think well and I think there is you know I think there's it's very layered all these subjects isn't it because I think with, uh, with parents a I think we forget they're people yeah, definitely. But they were people before they were parents, right? So they were just same as us, like single, whatever, doing their thing. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know, whatever their journey was, but, you know, they meet each other and they have a child and suddenly, just the same as anyone else, they've probably got all these fears around, like, I've got to keep this thing alive. Yeah. It's crying all the time. I know <laughs> there's no manual for these things. You know, like all this stuff that you just kind of assume that because it's your parent. Yeah just known they should have just known like what to do and everything else and I think it's really beautiful that you know you're looking at it in that way of like you know that it's not a blame it's not shame it's not it's just I was doing this and it's sad that my mum could see me in so much pain and I didn't know and I think one of the things I was going to touch on is at the beginning you sort of mentioned that you ignored your behavior and how it was making you feel and I was actually chatting to Ruby Warrington who I know she was on the the panel with us as well yesterday for her podcast and one of the things I said was totally around self-medicating and I think that's for me what I was doing with alcohol was I was self-medicating against my depression and my anxiety and I was learning this way to very much modulate and regulate my mood in a very unhealthy coping mechanism kind of way 
And it sounds like a very similar story to you. And I think it is quite painful. It must be quite painful to watch people that you care about behaving in ways that you know are not great. Yeah. Not really being able to do much about it and just waiting for them to have that realisation and hopefully become self-aware and understand what's happening. Exactly, yeah. Was there a turning point for you, like where you became kind of self-aware or was it just... Yeah, so it's it's really interesting. So like, I think I'm kind of quite similar to you in that I've I've always kind of been quite involved in self-improvement and Mm self-development. And I've struggled with mental health since I was a kind of like 15, 16, mm. which incidentally coincides around the time that I came out. So talking of that whole kind of coming out thing, it's really interesting. So I now realise that the reason that I, I was self-medicating with alcohol is to do with the shame that I have of myself for being gay. Oh, wow. And it's this is genuinely like only just a realisation that's happened within the kind of like last four four to eight maybe 12 weeks and it's not a conscious shame it's not something that I've ever like I've never ever thought oh I hate being gay I don't want to be gay that's never been a thought process of mine but because when I came out I mean it was only it was 14 years ago it was 14 years ago and like I mean attitudes towards towards the LGBT community now are better they're still not where they need to be but 15 years ago work still to do man yeah but if you think about 15 years previous there was even more work to do yeah and don't don't get me wrong I had it easy in comparison to my kind of predecessors yeah. but when I came out it still wasn't 100% socially acceptable at school and when you realize that you're gay in a heteronormative world and you can't conform or have validation of your relationships in your adolescence the same way that heterosexual people can it mm. basically makes you it makes you kind of put this shame on yourself without realizing that you're doing it and essentially, you you are ashamed of being gay, just not consciously. Yeah. It's that whole societal level stuff, right? Yeah. And I think this is when people talk about white privilege and everyone gets really offended. And it's like, well, yeah, you might not consciously be racist. You know, like I don't, I'm just Absolutely. starting to learn about all this stuff now. And it's like, wow, yeah, I'm not consciously actively you know, racist or anything like that. I've definitely benefited from a racist societal structure. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, there's probably shame built into that the same way that there's shame built into, you know, depending on culturally where you grew up and things like that. And I think that also comes into drinking. You know, I I was embarrassed when I first stopped drinking, if I'm honest. I thought, God, I remember having conversations where I'd say things like, I don't trust people that don't drink. And you know, yeah. I, would, I genuinely thought it was weird if you didn't drink and why wouldn't you unless you had some kind of severe, you know, problem or whatever. And actually, it's like, wow, where did all that, where did all those beliefs come from? Because exactly, they're not they conscious. Been, they must have been cultivated somewhere. But it's this kind of unconscious societal, cultural systems that have been built that we're all kind of part of that we don't even realise. And when you start to unpack those it's a very, very interesting journey, you know, when you Absolutely. look at things and going, oh, wow, okay, well, I thought the world looked like this and actually it looks totally flipped on its head. <laughs> anyway. yeah. I mean, I'm laughing, but it's really not funny. <laughs> no. It's, and the more I open myself up and the more that I meditate and the more spiritual I become and the more self-aware I become, the more I start noticing all these different structures yeah, and it and it's a, there's a lot of work to do to to unravel all these yeah. very very ingrained 
belief systems and structures that have been created culturally. And that is a job for all of us to come together and do, you know, as one, hopefully. Yeah. Um, That's another reason to do things like this podcast, right? Because the more that we can have these conversations, it might be awkward, it might be difficult, but the more we can have these kind of public conversations and share information, the more people are going to wake up, the more people are going to feel comfortable to just be who they are. Exactly. Um, And hopefully that will help all communities, you know? Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to ask you was, what is your biggest learning so far from sobriety? What do you think is the biggest learning? I think I've got two. So I think one is like to really question what it is that you're getting yourself involved in. And that's in any aspect of life or conversation or whatever. And I think like when I first got sober, I wanted to to heal the world and change everything all at once Mm -hmm. and not give myself time for me. And I think my biggest learning is that like, at the moment we live in a kind of culture where everyone's talking about Mm self-care and I absolutely believe in self-care, but I equally believe that sometimes if you lean too much into self-care, it can start to kind of lead you down the wrong path and you focus way too much on yourself. And actually sometimes I believe, I think that you need more connection with Mm -hmm. others to share experiences and, and have conversation because you will learn from them and they will help you. And I think that for me, when I first got sober, I went in the total opposite direction and had no self-care for myself and tried to do it, like help everyone. And I think that sometimes it, it's about balance. So for me, my kind of, my key learning really is, is trying to find a balance in what you get yourself involved in, especially in the early days of sobriety. Yeah. But my main learning is that I just can't believe that to remove alcohol from my life. I mean, I'm fortunate enough in the respect that I wasn't alcohol dependent and I have absolutely exposed myself to to people that that are in that situation. And I've I've been to AA meetings and stuff to make sure that when I talk about this stuff, I'm knowledgeable Mm. because everyone has their own journey in in the same way. I also believe that everyone has their own sobriety. My, I would say if I didn't stop drinking when I did, I was probably a few months away from being dependent. If I hadn't stopped then, I knew that that's where it was going to go because it was creeping up on me a lot. And yeah, I think the thing for me is that I just wish that I'd have like, I'd have had someone else to teach me this stuff. And my biggest learning really is to like, just go out there and find find all the information that you need about any subject that you want and, and expose yourself to it as, as uncomfortable as it may be and just see where, where it takes you. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I like what you say about exposing yourself to the different elements of it as well, because I think for me, my sobriety journey has been relatively easy. I've got to be honest, like, you know, when I stopped drinking, I felt really good. Then I went back to drinking my mental health dipped. I felt really, really, really shit. Mm. And it wasn't so much hangovers. It was more the anxiety and the mental health stuff that it would just trigger that to be so bad that actually drinking became almost like something I just didn't want to do because the payoff was so bad that it was like one of those really easy decisions. And I think the more that I built myself love, the less I wanted to drink because the more I loved myself, the less I wanted to do things that made me feel like Definitely. I think I have to be quite conscious sometimes when I'm chatting to people about, you know, oh yeah, just like go sober, that it's not that easy. No. And, you know, there's multiple layers, you know, whether depending on how you're using 
alcohol, whether it's a coping mechanism or whether it's, you know, a full blown addiction or like you're dependent on it. And, and there's, you know, other physical elements that happen right over the period of time of drinking that can really make it much harder. You can't just stop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Lots of other things. So I think it's important as well to note that, like you said, everyone's on their own journey. Mm. Hopefully, though, by showing that there are these various layers to it, it's not just, you know, you're an alcoholic and you're in AA or whatever, or, you know, or you're more like Ruby, who's sober curious and kind of still drinks occasionally. But there's this whole plethora of, of yeah. in between that with sobriety. So has it always, was it easy for you? on your sobriety journey or has there been things you've struggled with or failed at and if so what what were they and what did you learn from that I think I was talking to I was someone dm'd me the other day actually asking for some advice and I think I've been really fortunate in the respect that because alcohol had permeated like every part of my life and it was I was physically seeing the downsides my relationships in general were suffering with everyone like it was all quite, it was all becoming really physical and it was evident to me what was happening by the, towards the end. Mm. So I think because of that, because I could see what was happening, when I woke up on the 12th of October and I had that severe hangover and like I haven't had a drink since, I think because I'd got to that point, like essentially that was my rock bottom. And so in a way, yes, me giving up has been easy because I woke up and I knew that day that that was it. And that wasn't because I was choosing to, it was just because my mind, my body and my soul genuinely had just all aligned and been like, that's it, we're done now. And I can't explain it. It's not something that I could tell someone to go and do because I just don't know how it happened. Mm. But I just think that when when you're mentally in a lot of pain and you're physically in a lot of pain and your body's not healthy anymore, I believe that at some point, my mind and my body decided to coordinate properly. And then the, my spiritual sense has kind of been a bit like, yeah, also you're not being true to yourself here. And because of that, it all just kind of a big bang happened and, and I was sober. And like genuinely there's there's maybe been once or twice in the whole, I mean, it's nearly, it's 10 and a half months now that I've kind of looked at a drink and gone, oh, that would be nice. Mm-hmm. And the only bits that I've found weird is when I'm in a social setting and people are drinking and they feel the need to continuously ask me why I'm not drinking, especially in the early days when you're not confident in your sobriety. Mm. And I don't mean confident in the sense that I wanted to go back to drinking. It's just that it, you're learning everything again. When you when you get sober mm-hmm. as an adult, you're literally learning how to be an adult right from the beginning again. Because if you yeah. think about when you hit 18, from that point on, you, you celebrated and commiserated everything with alcohol. So what do you do when you take that out? You have to feel it all. Mm-hmm. And to be in a nightclub for the first time with work colleagues when you're stone cold sober is is scary. I'm not going to lie. It is really scary. And to go through that and not have anything that, to block it mm. is, is quite a lot. So that's what I found hard. I found the emotional change mm-hmm. and, and the overwhelming emotions, be that good or bad, that, that came with sobriety. But in, in a sense of did I find it difficult to stop drinking? No, because I feel like my body and my soul met in the middle and were like, you need to stop and that's it done. Mm, Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I thank you for just being so honest, really. I think it is so powerful. And I had a very similar experience and a lot of people that I know that have got sober have all said that 
I don't know if it's the same for you, but around, I think I was, it must have been around four months sober, all my emotions. It was wow. like every single emotion I'd ever felt since I, because I started drinking really young, like very young. And so when I was in therapy and I said to her and she said, well, when you stop drinking and your liver starts detoxing and everything else, essentially you go back to the age that you were. Yeah, I did. I felt like I was about 13. I was like, oh my God, I'm so like such a teenager. What the hell's going on? And it was like all these emotions coming to the surface. And what I'd usually done to block them out and drink them down just wasn't available to me because I'd decided not to do that anymore. And it was like learning new ways to cope. And also giving people, I don't think we've spoke about this on the podcast yet. So hopefully not. Anyway, but giving people time to mourn and giving yourself time to mourn your old self. And it sounds crazy, but it's like a part of you has literally died. Like that part of you that is going to be, you know, doing shots at 4am or whatever is not alive anymore and well, you know. So it's like giving yourself a bit of credit and a bit of time and a bit of space to actually go, oh, that's a bit sad. You know, I'm allowed to be sad about that. Even though I know those behaviours were quite damaging to me, I still had a lot of fun <laughs> oh, a lot God. of the time. And so there's part of me that was quite sad to let that woman go a little bit. I mean, now, to be honest, I'm glad she's gone. And I, I'm not in a horrible way, but I, I send lots of love to her because I know how much pain she was in and I know how much she was covering up. And I know no one that was there drinking with her knew about any of that stuff. But I know. And I think it is giving yourself that time and that space to kind of mourn the person passed and allow this kind of new rebirth of, of this new person to come out and get to it's almost like starting a new relationship like but with yourself oh I totally agree totally agree I was crying at Andrex adverts and god knows what <laughs> toilet cleaner absolutely <laughs> I mean there was one point where I was like walking back to my apartment and like the sun was going down and I just looked over and I was like oh isn't that so beautiful and just like crying <laughs> You know, and you're like, who are you? Like, what have you become? I mean, thankfully, I don't cry at the sunset anymore. But yeah, I was just feeling everything all the time. And I've got to say, it is exhausting. It's really exhausting. Like, it's kind of leveled out now because, like, I'm I'm a lot more level. But yeah, definitely, I think mine was about four or five months as well. Yeah. Uh, And then I did. I don't know if this happened to you, but I did about like month four or five. I was feeling everything, and then at month six, I kind of crashed and I was just a bit like oh is this it is this what sobriety is now like it's just really boring and what is is this all I've got to life now yeah and I went through like a month of that and then I came out and I've gone back up again and then you drop back down again and then you go back up and then now I've plateaued and I'm at a really good level (laughs) yeah I think as well because on that point I think it's like all my joy, all my fun, everything was partying. That's yeah. that was, It was like, which rave am I going to go to? Like, what DJs am I going to listen to? What festivals am I going to go to? What, do you know, like everything was kind of built around this party structure. And that was like, yeah. if I want to have fun, if I want to let my hair down, if I want to like let off some steam, bury all my emotions or whatever, even though I was <laughs> doing that, that's what I would do. And then suddenly it was like, oh, it's the weekend. What shall I do? And it was like, oh, I don't know. 
what yeah. I'm going to do. And then, and now I go out and I and I do go to parties and I and I do it sober. And I know that's not an option for everyone, but I love dancing and music too much to not go out. So I feel lucky that I'm I've been able to add that back in. But it's not the be all and end all now. There's so many other things, and it took me a while to kind of reconnect to joy. Oh, do you know what? I was so glad that you just mentioned joy because I was just about to mention it. So I've literally just finished reading a book called The Velvet Rage. Mm-hmm. It, but the, basically, the, the book is about the intrinsic link between LGBT shame and addiction. And that's not necessarily addiction with alcohol. That's all addictions and also kind of not bad behaviours, but bad learned behaviours mm. and why they manifest because of the shame of you being gay and blah, 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 mm. blah. And in there, there's a really amazing part and it, and it talks about like kind of when you get sober, mm. you need to kind of start looking for joy in other places. But because we're so used to feeling joy and it being associated with alcohol, we're not used to looking for it. So like you have to like train yourself. Like, you know, when you get that like, I don't know, that really weird excitement feeling and it only lasts like for a second because joy only lasts for like a second, whereas a good time in a nightclub could last for four hours. Mm -hmm. That's why we remember that more rather than that little tiny excitement moment. Yeah. And it's really funny because like now I'm trying to like, as soon as I feel that, I hold it and I think about it and I really let it come over me. And instead of like just letting that pass. And it's really mad because it actually happened this afternoon. I was sat, I was sat working. And I had like a 90s playlist on and I, like, I, I normally wouldn't sit and listen to it. And you know this song, Dancing in the Moonlight by Top Loader? <laughs> I haven't heard that song <laughs> in years. And literally, I just got this like feeling in my stomach. And I was like, oh, God, I'm excited for no reason. And I just oh sat there God. and I loved it. <laughs> I've got a really funny story about that. Part of it I will share now and part of it I'm not going to share. <laughs> when that song came out we were out drinking in Eastbourne and it was myself and my boyfriend and some of my friends and top loader were in this bar and they invited us back to their house and had a house party and had this balcony and we were all singing the song on the balcony like I don't know like two three in the morning were you dancing in the moonlight I was literally dancing in the moonlight with top loader in the house if nothing else, this podcast was worth that moment. I mean, I've literally, you know, what I'm realising is I've apparently got a story for everything. <laughs> so I guess I'm, re- I'm looking at time again. I don't know why I tried to limit myself with this, with this podcast because I know that I'm just so chatty. But what is one thing that you wish you'd known about sobriety before you started your journey that you now know? How amazing it is and how amazing people are and how amazing the world is. Because like I said earlier, like my world was just so small when I was drinking and all I cared about was me or what restaurant I was going to or what bar I was going to or how good my life looked on Instagram as opposed to in reality. And my mind is just so much like more capable of more love and more compassion. And I'm sounding like really like happy clappy but like no other there's no other way to say it like there's no there's no way to say this stuff without sounding cheesy but yeah I just for me it's like it is honestly the greatest gift that I've ever I said I was going to say given but I've given it to myself in a sense but I don't know I just think that like I've got so much more capacity for for others and Mm. for a, a bigger picture that isn't about me anymore and like 
it kind of the, the work that I've just started doing with this charity called Outlife. I've just recently accepted a role and I'm basically on top of my day job. I'm now doing an unpaid role for this charity where I'm going to be writing about alcohol and mental health for um, their, their LGBT website and just stuff like that. Like, I mean, I would never in a million years have had the capacity, the, the time I would have said I didn't have the time. And just I just would have been hung over or too tired or not put enough effort into it and not given it everything that I, that I want to and that it deserves. Mm. I'm so excited by this um, because like I now that I understand why where my drinking problems came from in the shame of, of being LGBT, I want to make sure that other people don't feel like that or if they do feel like it that they they find it and acknowledge it earlier and treat it sooner so that I mean I feel fortunate that I've done this at 28 and I've got a whole life ahead of me mm. but what if someone gets to that? that realization at 21 instead of 28 like they've then got an even longer life to live and achieve even more incredible things than, than yeah. I might be able to do um, so yeah completely it's like wow you know I could have had I could have had this realization at 60 yeah I'm so lucky that I had it when I did my, yeah now I'm sl- I was slightly older on my journey but it's like you know in my 30s I still got my whole life ahead of me yeah and I think it's really brave what you're doing and I think it's really awesome I can't wait to see more of this work that you're doing with the charity. So let us know. And obviously any links or anything, they're all being underneath. So if you want to find out more about what Scott is doing with this charity and read some of his articles and everything, I'll make sure that all the links are included. Yeah. So to wrap it up, which is a shame, so I could talk to you all day. <laughs> um, what is there anything else you wish that I'd asked you or anything you want to add? Do you know what? Yeah, I did make notes before just to make sure that I covered everything that I wanted to say. So kind of just going back to the biggest learning thing was just around this exercise that I learned years ago. And I, for the life of me, cannot remember where, but essentially it's what you do is you write down, you think about the fact that if you were going to have a child, what five core values you would want that child to have. Mm-hmm. And you write them down and then you kind of elaborate on them. So if it's trust, for example, why is trust important to you? you to have Mm. in your child and essentially by going through that process you by the end of it will realize what your core five values are and because you've gone through that process you can kind of then see what it is that means the most to you and then you take that list and essentially you you use that as a framework for your life so if something doesn't fit in those values then you don't do it because or if you're going to do something that's going to break one of those values then you shouldn't do it because you're going to cause yourself a lot of pain. And yeah, I think I did it not long ago again. And I now try and live live to that because I don't want to cause myself any more upset, but I also don't want to hurt anyone else. And I just think that that's worth sharing. <laughs> that's an amazing technique. And I think I, I can't agree with you more. Like if you don't know your own values mm. and what you hold dear in your life, it's very difficult for you to live a fulfilling life, right? Because... Definitely. You know, if you're always doing so. And that was definitely something for me as well. Like people pleasing is still something that I drawn on my trousers. People pleasing is definitely something that I'm still working on. You know, that's one of my real like, because I don't want to upset anyone. So I'll always try and do everything and be everything for everyone. And I'm really starting to learn my boundaries now. And it's quite like brave new world out there, man. (laughs) You've been reading Brené Brown as well, haven't you? I'm obsessed. I can't get I, enough of her. I cried within about the first five pages of that book and I was like sat on the bus like uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be 
<laughs> oh my god, amazing. <laughs> Oh, for anyone, sorry, this has gone way off track. People are going to probably lost what we're talking about. Brené Brown's got an amazing book called Braving the Wilderness. Braving the Wilderness, yeah. And we're both reading it and we realised that we both started reading it on the same day because um, Scott put a post, he was going on holiday and he was like, I'm reading this book. And I was like, shut up. I just started reading it the day before. So yeah, we're kind of book buddies. We should start a <laughs> book club. We should start a book club. Only I ever, I read about six books at the same time and I never... Well, don't, that's not true. I don't always finish the ones that I'm reading. I finish the majority Fair of them. Fair enough. I like dipping in and out, like because I read fact books. I don't read fiction ever. Yeah, neither do I. Everything I read is like, my friend came around the other day and she said to me, she's like, Kim looked at your bookcase from the house. <laughs> is it all self-help? <laughs> so funny. <laughs> all books are like trauma, trauma <laughs> recovery, and like depression and mental health, psychology and self-help. And I was like, Babe, it's just the subject that I'm interested in. Interested or obsessed? I was like, same same difference. I'm saving the world. What are you doing? (laughs) Oh, I'm exactly the same. Don't worry, you're not alone. Oh, thank God. We can be mad together, mad and sober together. Scott, it's been a real, real pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. As I said to everyone, there'll be all the links and everything of where to find him, but you can definitely find him at A Boy Who Drank Too Much. Is that right? As your The Boy Who Drank Too on Instagram. If you search The Boy Who Drank Too Much, it comes up. On Instagram. And do follow him because he's hilarious and makes some really good points. And you feel, I always feel like inspired by, well, you, Millie, who's also a been on the podcast depending what the order is or is coming on the podcast (laughs) depending on the release order is preview preview. you know I always feel really inspired when I when I see both of your stuff so yeah go follow Scott and support him and go check out that charity as well and what's the charity called LGBT Outlife LGBT Outlife and yeah catch us on the podcast again next week and remember to like share comment and all that jazz and we'll see you soon Thanks very much for listening. Things I Wish I'd Known is brought to you by Welford Wellbeing. Check out my website at www.welfordwellbeing.com.